Today's episode of the Podular Modcast is brought to you by Odulus. Odulus is a modular synthesizer visual programming platform for iOS, Mac, Windows, and Linux. With Odulus, you can create synthesizers, sequencers, and effects from scratch, or use one of the hundreds of built-in modules or some of the thousands of user-created patches available for download at the Odulus forum. Plug your computer or iOS device straight into an Expert Sleepers ES8 or similar DC-coupled audio interface, and Odulus can be a sound source, an envelope, a filter, an LFO, a sequencer, or an effect all at once. The song you're hearing right now was actually made with a combination of Odulus and Eurorack modules. A SuperSaw chord pattern generated in Odulus with a matrix sequencer is being sent through a bubble sound modular DIOD filter, while another pattern from the same sequencer drives a Doper A111-3 VCO and envelopes a Roland 505 filter. Odulus is also sequencing the tip-top audio BD909 and CP909 and mixes everything together with fader automation. As you can hear, Odulus can help you get more out of your modular synth. But you can also use it alone. Make a patch on your iPad on your commute from work and load it up instantly on your computer when you get home through automatic iCloud syncing. Right now, Odulus is running a limited time sale, 50% off in the Mac and iOS stores. Also, for each episode of the Podular Modcast, we'll be giving away three free copies of Odulus. So go check out my Instagram page, Podular Modcast, and uh, see, see if you can be the first one to grab one of those free download codes. Um, I'll be posting them at random points during the week. Uh, so good luck. Odulus, build sound from first principles and take your modular to the next level. Pod Mod Bods, welcome to another episode of the Podular Modcast. Today's guest is Alfred Darlington, a.k.a. Daedalus, um, and we had a really fantastic talk, and he did a pretty uh, outstanding patch for the patch challenge, so uh, I'm excited for you guys all to hear that. I'm also uh, really excited that so many people have been joining the uh, the Facebook uh, Pod Mod Patch Challenge group, um, where we uh, we try to we do, we all post our own uh, patches from from the week's episode and uh if you don't have facebook you can also do it on instagram uh just use the hashtag podmod patch challenge um it's good exercise as i've said before so many times um you're probably tired of me saying it um the last like three that i've done i've been really unhappy with but i think that's actually better than being happy with them i don't know maybe i'm just trying to make myself feel better uh, how are you guys all doing are we all descending into the winter months with grace? I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I hope you are too. Um, I think my modular synthesizer is going to help with that quite a bit. So uh, thank you, Patreon subscribers. One of the uh, donor tiers is a shout-out, and we have a new one this week. Dave Paulin, P-A-W-L-A-N. I hope I'm saying that right. Paulin. Dave Paulin. Thank you so much. Um <laughs> If you would like me to butcher your last name, you can head to patreon.com forward slash modular modcast. Um, also got some cool other 
donor tiers there. And um, I'm hoping I can get between five and 10 more by the end of the year so we can get um, some t-shirts. And I still haven't heard back. Do you guys want t-shirts that say Podmod Bod or just Podmod or Podular Modcast? Um, let me know. Hit me up what, what, what we think would be cool. Maybe just like the, the logo of the show, um, but maybe put Bod below it in the same font. I think that that could be kind of cool. Um, also, I want to get into some demo action really quick, but let's let's uh, let's give a thanks to our sponsors, Recovery Effects. Go to recoveryeffects.com. Check out all their awesome effects and uh, modules. AISynthesis.com. Uh, some pretty amazing uh, DIY kits and some new stuff coming out soon. So keep an eye out on that. Um, Schlappy Engineering got this angle grinder and. Uh, if, you, if you're following me on Instagram, you're seeing that I'm having a lot of fun with that, and we're going to get into a demo of that today, along with Livestock Electronics Bang. It's a pretty amazing uh, oscillator, so I can't wait to tell you guys all about that. So uh, why don't we do that? Why don't we get into some cool demos real quick? All right, I'm going to take a moment to introduce you to Livestock Electronics Bang Oscillator. Um, Bang is a lo-fi digital wavetable oscillator inspired by classic game consoles such as the Commodore 64 and Game Boy DMG. These classic game consoles have limited audio possibilities and force a composer to be more creative when it comes to sound design. A trick often used is to create sounds that can be interpreted as part of multiple voices. Bang takes a new approach to this concept. It switches between two selectable waves within a cycle, creating a mix of the two waves with sustained sample values. Uh, the result is an amplitude modulation type that is similar to sounds made by these classic game consoles. Uh, Bang comes with a free application for PC and Mac to create your own wave libraries, which allows you to create your own building blocks for the Bang wave shaping, wave shaping algorithm. Um, so yeah, it's got a little SD card on it. So let's, let's, uh, let's take a little, a quick little tour through it. So what I want to do is quickly run through these different libraries, which are color-coded on the bang. So right now I'm in the green mode, and uh, we've got an odd knob. And we've got an even knob. We'll turn both of those to their 12 o'clock position, then you've got this chunks knob. And I've also got this Felix from Livestock, which is uh, it's an attenuator slash molt. So I've got um, the angle grinder running a nice LFO into channel one, and then that's coming out into the odd. So I'll slowly bring that up. And then I have uh, the woggle output from the woggle bug going into channel two of the Felix, and I'll slowly bring that up, and that's going into the even input on the bang. And then I've got the function for make noise going into the FM input. Now let's go to the positive side of that. And down to the negative side of that. And back to the middle, turn it off. Now, what's really cool uh, about this bang is I'm gonna, I like to use the, uh, the knobs in conjunction with the CV. So with the knobs all the way down, sounds like this. Let's bring this even knob up halfway. And the odd knob up halfway. And then mess with this chunks knob. Bring the FM back in. 
And now let's go through the libraries. So we're in green right now. Uh, we'll hit the library page button. This is the yellow, which is the harmonic series. And then we've got the red, which is tones and ripples. Magenta, which is pulse width modulation, which is uh, pretty nasty sounding. And then we got blue, which is chunky noises. <laughs> and then finally the cyan, high frequency sign and noises. Go back to this yellow. The yellow's my favorite so far. So yeah, there's that. Just a quick run through of the Bang and the Felix from Livestock. Um, I highly recommend both. Uh, we're going to make a little bit more musical patch later on in the show, but I just wanted to show you some of the sounds this thing can make. So let's get to our talk with uh, Alfred, a.k.a. Daedalus. Well, I super appreciate the candor indeed, because those interviews that I've been able to catch thus far, it's like you get into some of the minutiae that like I'm most interested in. So that's what really drew me to be part of the podcast, the modcast. Oh, great. That, that, yeah, oh, exactly. Great. No, a hundred percent. Awesome. Well, you, well, you're, you're, there's, there's a lot of minutia I want to talk about with you. <laughs> um, um, it, I think, so I, I was, I try not to, I try not to, um, you know, ask, ask too many redundant questions and have people talk about stuff they've talked about a lot, but I couldn't find too much mm-hmm. on kind of your, kind of your musical past. I mean, I, I know you went to, to school for, for like jazz bass, for double yeah. bass. Um, do you want to just kind of give like a, an overview from, I don't know, when, when you, childhood, when did you get into sure. music and what crap should you and just kind of go through that? Yeah. I, I don't have family that was particularly musically inclined. It, it never was the case that they were going to be setting me up for some sort of pathway in the arts. If anything, actually, although my mother is, is a fine artist and academic and my dad was an academic as well. Um, I think their hopes and dreams rested in me becoming like some sort of professor kind of type, Uh like higher education was definitely in the mix, but like music was not, um, yeah, wasn't prescribed like by any means. And in fact, even to this day, I think there's still these moments of like, my parents are kind of waiting for me to become like, (laughs) pick up the mantle and get serious about things and just become a teacher. Like they're kind of, there's, or you got to send them your Ted, Ted talk then. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I appreciate that, but yeah, I think, I don't even know if they, the Ted talk, if the Ted talk would even like register on their radar, so to speak, you know what I mean? Like they're waiting for yeah. Yale to come knocking and then they're going to be like proud parents. That's it's a okay. I've, I've long <laughs> since like gotten rid of the notion that I'm going to be, um, there's that many boxes to like, to make them proud through it's, it's fine. Uh, but yeah. I was doomed from the start because honestly, audio was that thing. Like, I don't know why ears, um, were were the way we're just from the, from the get, we're going to be my undoing. Um, but yeah, like there was a particular moment as like in elementary school of all things, they did that thing of like carting out the orchestra in front of us. And I, in my like total unprescience picked bassoon as my, like, I want to play that instrument. <laughs> Not a good move. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> doom, doom, doom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they looked at me and they were like, no, you, you're, you're too small for bassoon. It's not going to work out. This love affair is. Yeah. And so they put me on clarinet and I toiled mm-hmm. in the clarinet dungeon for a long time. 
Uh, and as soon as I had the opportunity, I switched over to double bass, but I still played bass clarinet and like marching band and things. Mm-hmm. But no matter what the instrument was, I just like audio was it. Like, I, and like, I didn't have that much aptitude for the thing. Like I'm not, I'm not some sort of like uh, perfect pitch, perfect rhythm kind of composer. Um, mm-hmm. I just, it intrigued me so much and ears, just ears for everything, ears for days. I feel, yeah, I feel, I feel very, very similar. You know, I, mm. I play a few instruments, but I, I call myself more of a musician. It's a, <laughs> it's a, I can make people who don't play instruments think that I'm good at it, but, wow. um, but yeah, but it's kind of the love, love of it. Uh, it started early for me too. I don't know if I've shared it on the show, but, um, my, my earliest thing were, I don't even remember. It's just something my parents tell me, but I had a little portable radio with a microphone and Wang Chung, everybody Wang Chung tonight. That was my jam. And then from then on, it was just all music, I Interesting. guess. So. <laughs> well, I, I will say that one thing that was a particular frustration for me was I always played these solo, these, these instruments that were monophonic. I, I mean, you could argue that double bass has the option of polyphony. You can certainly strum it, but it's just not, mm-hmm. not made for that. And clarinet certainly the same way. And I, I never never took piano lessons as such. And so I just kind of felt like I always had to be in an ensemble. I always had to be these with other musicians. And I was like, Mm -hmm. as much as I loved the music, I was just unsatisfied in almost any group situation because it's like the negation of my own voice or just kind of hopes, dreams weren't being realized. And so I was like, it, it was definitely something was, was, was off and apart until computer music basically came into my life. Um, I would play all these dead composers' music. Yeah, and just that's so cool. It it just was a frustration. Um, No, no, no. Absolutely, it was just a frustration that was always like it was like uh, it was stuck in my craw for the longest time until finally (laughs) I found a way to get get through it and get forward. And and that's what like you know the reason I kind of basically dropped out of jazz school was because I was taking these like modular synth classes, and I took that that class seven times. And maybe that should have been a signal to me that I was like more interested in the modular synth class and the like the jazz double bass that I wasn't practicing for, you know? Right. <laughs> okay, and so but, so some yeah. modular is okay. I'm, I was trying to piece your your story together, not to interrupt you. I want to get back onto That's it, right. but it seems like modular is is kind of maybe something you've dipped back into recently, and we can get that get into that. Yeah. I wasn't aware that you were you know. Well, into by it modular, earlier. I mean like a patch bay moog, like one of those like double cabinet patch bay moogs, which right. is such okay. a different flavor of modular. Like it has all the same gestures, you know, you're using a VCO and a VCA, and you know, you you have these things, but it's just, it's not where we're at now. It, it's basically the, the primitive version of it. And that's exactly the height of the technology that was at the school I was going to, which is it's kind of insane to think about. This was like, you know, late aughts. There were late 2000s. What am I talking about? No, not 2000s. Oh my goodness. I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> it was the late 90s. Ugh. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, different. But they should they should sort of still had like samplers and and like whatever was the current trend of technology at that point. Then they didn't. They had a patch bay mode. So. Okay. So so you start switching. You're you're starting to get more I, I like I like this. There's a there's a nice little story there, you know, like the the monophonic instrument being kind of forced into an ensemble, and then you find you finding ways to to break out and have electronic music be that that way for you to kind of find your individual voice. Right. So what was there was there like a, a particular artist or or type of electronic music that was kind of pulling you there, or did you find that stuff after you found the instruments? I always find that an, yeah. an interesting story. 
No, it was completely. It was completely the the car- carriage before the horse. I guess uh, that's a terrible mm-hmm. metaphor. But yeah, it was rave music. It was this very <laughs> upbeat sound of of rave, where especially coming from the background of having classical music and jazz, um, and and being exposed. I mean, luckily my parents did have quite a wide ranging record collection. They had like realized John Cage pieces in their college days. And oh, cool. big collectors like non such. And so they had like all the Zanakis and like all these bleeps and bloops for a young, confused um, boy to get mired in. And so I loved all those sounds, but like I didn't know how, how anything was made. And so when rave music came creeping up in my young life, um, which was my own discovery, which is also, I think, really powerful. You know how it is. Like when the music that you discover on your own becomes like your er thing, like yeah. the thing that you keep on going back to. And so mm-hmm. rave music was kind of on the airwaves. This was 92, 91. And I had like a fateful trip to the UK right around that time that like made it. So I was listening to pirate radio and like weird f- accented voices, like yelling over break beats was like my jam. That was like my everything. <laughs> uh-huh. And, and yeah. And, and especially in the rave music of that moment of 91, 92, they would take all kinds of sources. And it, you know, some people point to the technological shift of, samplers going from like 1.5 seconds to like five seconds, like that tiny shift in timing allowed so that people could take whole phrases from old records. And so like Mm -hmm. you have like John Barry soundtracks to like uh, James Bond films suddenly being integrated with James Brown, amen breaks. And it became this fusion that like kind of made sense to me as like a, as like a jazz loving, you know, teenager. Okay, so that's still something that permeates through your your stuff to, to like now. So yeah, well, that's so the that's, thing is it was my er music, right? That's the that's yeah. the sound you know that I'm still reaching for as being like that's cool, even uh-huh. though people like look at breakbeats now as like a as an anachronism. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I I um I didn't. So I was very very sheltered musically. Mm. I only had what like the the few radio stations and my older cousins had to show me. So I have a really, really weird patchworked together kind of just radio stuff. But my my earliest um, experience with stuff like that was actually the Fat of the Lamb, the Prodigy stuff. Um, yeah. You know, it was all it was just the big radio hits and. I I don't know. I have a way way more of an appreciation for that now. Listening to it, I don't know. I I, I still think it's it's very interesting. I don't know. It's kind I of will, a weird tangent. I will just a few times. And I, and I I think there's some interesting things to say about it too because you have this thing where the underground version of that, like the artist to me that was always the most influential was this artist Asen A C E N, who mm-hmm. um did a lot of lot more heavily sa- heavy sampling and a lot less attitude. And so there uh-huh. was something kind of magical to me about that versus, you know, the kind of the grimmest stare of that dude who was like the lead singer, quote unquote, who used to be the dancer for the prodigy. Right. The right. guy with like the tri mohawk who kind uh-huh. of would sneer. That, that was always a little <laughs> off putting. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. it just, I didn't find my own voice in it. I didn't have those kind of anger issues. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I listened to like didgeridoo by Aphex Twin kind of in authentic surroundings, like wearing like a yellow poncho at like a bad LA underground <laughs> rave and not being high enough for any of it, you know, not being uh, on drugs yeah. at all. And yet at the same time, like it was, it was truly a, um, a Eureka moment. Like why is there a didgeridoo? Oh, the song is called didgeridoo, but still what is going on? 
<laughs> that was it. That was like my life for like five or six years. And then oh, also realizing the cool DJ stuff. and also realizing the DJ wasn't making all the music. That was like a huge revelation too. Like I used right. to think that the, that person up on stage was doing all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I first started getting to electronic music, which was much later mm. in life for me, um, I, I, I kind of thought the same thing and that's what kind of drew me into it. Mm. And then, um, I was like, oh, a lot of this stuff's automated. And of yeah. course, I was just finding, you know, certain things. There's there's definitely different levels of agency in electronic music. But, you know, I had to find my way to that stuff. But that was the thing that kind of drew me in. I was like, how is that one person doing all of this stuff? I want in on that, you know? Right. And then the thing that's funny is that it goes around in circles, right? Like, it, so I had this, like this preconceived idea that this one person was doing everything and then realizing it wasn't the case that it was coming from a whole bunch of individuals, but those individuals in turn were totally doing everything. Even if it sounded at first like this, like kind of plunderphonic, like ambidexterity of all these genres, it still was one person's viewpoint and they're probably their limited record collection that made them make all these decisions. And so mm -hmm. I started being a voracious eater of records from old and new just trying to get what people were sourcing from like that curiosity made it so that the remainder of the nineties was like spent in a dungeon of record shops in from San Francisco and Los Angeles, like looking for what they were sourcing from. Yeah. That, that's, that seems to be something that, that somehow there, there must be like that gene you know, there's, there's, I feel you like the that hoarder gene. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's, you know, the, the, I think just like sample based music, yeah. you know, there's, there's definitely layers to that. And I've, I've definitely used samples and, and dabbled in that, but is there's definitely, there's, there's just this whole mm. infinite world you can go down. And, and I remember like the first time it was explained to me, like, no, cause I, you know, I, I in my younger days, I was, you know, I kind of, um, poo-pooed sample-based music. You know, they're not even making that. And it's like, well, no, they're taking all these things and then creating their own vision. And when that, when it was explained to me like that, I kind of, I don't know, it was kind of like one of those break open your your mind moments. Like, sure. oh my God, that's so cool. I mean, um, I will say that as a, as a young person of limited means, the ability to basically jam with the best musicians in the world in the best recording studios ever of history, um, sampling's powerful in that regard. Mm -hmm. And yeah. not to say that I, I had any, you know, any, there was any virtue to that. And I certainly haven't done always the best job of, of paying it forward, so to speak of, of, you know, like I, I do my best to give some credit to samples and to kind of, but you know, it's almost impossible to get rid around the legality of things. I mean, there's, that's a whole different matter, but just from the simple standpoint of, the sampling allows you to be in these ha hallowed rooms. You know, you could made a veil studio or whatever else is just at your fingertips because the air in the room was recorded by these certain mics that are impossible now. And you get uh -huh. access to all that through sampling and mm -hmm. never any other way. <laughs> so, so that, what was that kind of your, your big turning moment from like, as becoming kind of your, your own um, solo musician was, was it, were you doing turntable stuff or were you doing like, like, like digital sampler stuff or like what was, oh, what was kind of the first, the first instrument you got into as far as kind of your solo, the beginning of your solo stuff. Yeah, it was. So there, there's two, there's two, like two things that really played into this one moment in time in my life where I'm getting into the idea of this production, which includes like hardware samplers. Cause this was pre good Dawes. This is pre the computer being the centerpiece. 
And also, again, having experience on these like patch bay mogs, that means that this is the way I understand how signal flow works. And so there was a store where I grew up called Merrill's Music, and it was primarily a piano store, but they had their section of synthesizers and they had the stupidest, most incredible offer. Anything you bought in the store could be returned for the same value as long as you were buying something more expensive. <laughs> So that as you can imagine, dangerous. Merrill's music is no longer in existence. <laughs> it went out of business a long yeah, right. time ago. <laughs> but I bought so many, like I was literally able to buy like, like a five dollar pat, like uh, MIDI cable, and basically up up trade it into like uh, Octave Cat synthesizer and a <laughs> Roland SH09, and just buy you know like saving up lunch money. And just kept doing that mm -hmm. until I got nicer and nicer gear, so to speak. I mean, still the dregs, but like amazing kit that I still have to this day, a lot of it because of that. Yeah. And those hardware samplers, there would be flavors to these things. So I would be composing on something and then realize it wasn't quite the right piece, go in and trade it back for something with a little bit more sample time. And, and so my early exploration of actually performing this music was like, a nightmare of hardware samplers, um, some control surfaces, but again, like not, not so good. Um, I think there might've been an SP 303 in the mix somewhere along the ways, uh, some kind of vocoding technology. Do you know the, the Digitech talker? I think that showed up in my life around that time. Okay. <laughs> and, and all these things. And basically I was like, I would be composing in, in like, um, with with hardware sequencers and samplers and not exactly bringing it up on stage but like doing these like kind of mashupy versions of things and like making one change every minute basically i had like um the oh gosh like the um the seek 16 or something there was like a handful of these very interesting oddity midi um sequencers that would allow you to actually make changes on the fly which was kind of strange at the time unlike traditional um, hardware sequencers where you basically would load in the, the data and then have no access to it in the, on the fly. There was a mm -hmm. uh, music and more again, like a company that's long since non-existent had like a, a drum sequencer that you could kind of make changes on the fly, but still only having two hands okay. and 10 fingers allowed for very few changes at a time. It wasn't very performative and the, the sets would be very, um, Boring, I suspect. <laughs> I suspect they were terrible. Uh, that's that's still. I feel like that's that's my biggest challenge with just mm. modular. It's like, how can I make this, uh, this seem interesting for an extended period of time? <laughs> I, I can't wait to tell you about my my journey into modular. Then, yeah, <laughs> that's been my. Uh, I, I really do feel like there is a huge change on the way for for modular, and and I feel such a beneficiary of this current moment in time. So, so after just even a few years of this like cantankerous, like long-winded, terrible sets, I, I witnessed something that really did change my life from a technological perspective and, and from every perspective. What am I talking about? I, I was booked for a show in San Diego, and there I met a very young Brian Crabtree who went on to invent the monome. Uh -huh. And I witnessed uh -huh. the monome in a very early form. If my memory serves, it was just a one-line of of kind of led buttons that allowed him to do vigorous sample manipulation and although it was still computer coupled it was working with a max patch max msp patch 
-hmm. It was unlike anything I'd ever witnessed because here is sample-based material that isn't just linearly being manipulated, like on a turntable. Because Miss Pinky, I think it existed at that point. I don't know if you're familiar with that weird nugget of software that allowed for like turntable manipulation in Max. Miss Pinky uh, went on to become Serato. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Kind of interesting. Um, Or at least in part, like they literally just reversed the... uh, the pitching on the, the, the record information and then like trademarked that, I guess, or something crazy. Anyways, um, <laughs> okay. you know, stories, this, this stuff comes uh-huh. to us. And I don't know how much is true or not, but right. so, so unlike the linear manipulation that was going on in the turntablist community or whatnot, like actual sample manipulation was, was pretty unheard in, in, in like live situations. And so here's this thing. And it's just like, Oh, this is what I've been dreaming of. And I like begged and pleaded with Brian to, to maybe give me a crack at it. And, and he eventually not too long after um, graduated that San Diego program and, and started work, uh, started going to school in, at CalArts. And at that place, he, he invented the, the 256, what went on to be known as the 256. And that was in 2003. Um, I began to like kind of prototype test this early edition of the Monom that was literally held together with like tape, uh, gum and good intentions. <laughs> And looked so much like a bomb. Every, you know, when I first started traveling with that thing, it was like, you know, like a breadboard with like 3000 solder points on it. And yeah, it just looked, looked like it must've looked like them, you know, this was 2003 too. This is not long after, you know, um, all the unfortunate Uh, events earlier. And, and yeah, so I got, that was, that was part of the prototype testing. I suspect was just like, oh, he can travel with this. Like, well, maybe this won't, you know, get us in trouble. And, and it changed everything. Like having this like really solid piece of kit that really could perform electronic music in a, in a visceral way was, yeah, I think was like a a testament to the power of electronic music in general, that it could be performed. I'm not saying that I was the one to, 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 to make that the case. I think there was a lot of other initial experiments in that regard, but especially the monome was such an empower, uh, powerful moment in that regard. And, and that, that seems like that was your kind of your main performance tool for a really long time. The last right? 15 was, years. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, only just for the sake of time, cause I want to get to a few more things. Yeah. Um, I, I just watched, it was funny. I just watched your, uh, your talk and performance, uh, from switched on Perfect. in Austin. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And one of my first interviews I ever did before I even released, a a show um i talked to chad allen from switched on in in the shop there that was so it was cool to like see that shop and 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 uh watch you do that talk but one thing that you talked about was was wanting to move away from the laptop yeah and and using modular to do that but when i was looking at that and i watched your you did an adult swim Mm -hmm. performance and and there was i you know being a total gear nerd i'm looking at your setup when they did the kind of over the shoulder shot or whatever and i was like does he have an oscillator oh shit he's using the sts yeah that's like and then you know just hearing the way that you talk about using modular and and watching you perform it and the way that you managed to make your modular sets still sound like you know daedalus stuff Mm -hmm. That's I don't that's that's just super interesting to me and I I think a lot of people would like to hear you kind of just lay that whole thing out like philosophically and, and gear wise because I don't know you 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 use the you use the instrument in a really cool way and have a cool perspective on sorry to, I'm rambling now but I really <laughs> like what you said about um, 
you know, being lucky that we're in this point in time technologically and what, yeah. what modular has to offer. I'm still a little self-conscious about it because I do feel like I'm a visitor in this space. I feel grateful that the modular world has moved into such a realm that a lot of different voices are possible. And I've gone to modular on the spot and I've really enjoyed the culture that exists here in Los Angeles. And although I, I am an ardent supporter of the, the technological shift and getting away from laptops, like you, like you said, like I, I really do believe that there is this whole other paradigm shift that's going on. I do realize that there is a culture to modular that I am, am not trying to co-opt or, or, um, yeah, be, be, uh, some sort of, um, false, false version of, I mean, I really feel committed to these ideas and I, I really think there's a lot on offer. And, and my perspective though, is that the technology is there that allows for modular to not just be some squiggles or bleeps or a lot of the kind of cliches that people bring to it. And I know a, a lot of people are subverting those expectations of like the kind of rigid non-performing skiff that has, um, right interesting sounds and sound design, but is kind of made to be an almost AI version of, of a performance where the, the machines themselves give their point of view and you kind of let them play amongst themselves in a, in a garden of, of, of clocks that, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and oscillators that just are like, you know, they're full of, of, you can almost like you're hearing the way the engineer who put them together, their mind works. And that's what yeah. you're performing. And that's your orchestra at essence mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, versus my setup, which is, is very different. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I don't know. I think, I think there's, there's always going to be, there's always going to be some, some sects of, of, of purists yeah. or, or whatever. But, you know, I, I think, I think, the way the way all of musical technology is going as far as electronic music, I think eventually it's all going to fall into a cauldron, and people are going to have, you know, a semi-modular, you know, groove box mm. guitars, you know, just just everything. And I, I don't know. I I think any anybody who who wants to look down their nose at somebody exploring the possibilities, um, I say, well, well have have <laughs> I think, good, have I th fun. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I totally agree, but I also, I admire the zealots and I admire the people who are so ensconced in a society that they find purpose because I think we've all been miscreants at different times. We've all been voiceless. And if we yeah. find community that, that isn't exclusive, but is inclusive, that's powerful. And that's really useful on a variety of ways, especially with people who maybe don't sort of find themselves as musicians. They don't necessarily have a, a form of expression and mm -hmm. modular maybe offers an opportunity for those who, who, who want to be resonant as like sound bodies, if, as, if I can take that metaphor and, and really have a, have a voice that, that doesn't rely on, on years of musical study or an instrument of mastery, but mm -hmm. the like mm -hmm. by patching and by finding an art in that kind of that realm that you, you can be part of that. And I think that's very respectable. I just think for myself that performance is so much at the nexus of, of what I'm here to do that I need, I needed to find the ways to perform in modular. And so even mm -hmm. if I wasn't using samples, I, I, I didn't find a lot of the equipment that was out there even a handful of years ago to be compelling in that regard. I, I just couldn't find my voice in it. 
And that's always been yeah. my thing. It's always been what I've been so searching for is finding a way of being authentic in, in I guess, my voice. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that is one of the, 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 the best part of modular is, is kind of this infinite playground for, it gives us the opportunity to find our voice. The unfortunate part is, is it's pretty hard to find that voice within the realm of all these circuits and all this, this control voltage. So it's, you know, it's, it's cool, but it's also, you know, it's, it's daunting. And I think if anybody finds their way into it and can find their voice, no matter what they're doing, if it's sample based or not, I mean, I, I applaud that. Even if I don't, even if I don't like the music, if, mm. if somebody finds their way of using it, then I'm excited about that aspect of it. And I love um, too that it itself, modular, just by look and feel, raises questions in an audience about what is possible. Because it is uh-huh. so, even even with the fact that it is growing in popularity, it just it challenges people's notions of what an instrument is in a way that totally. controllerism, which is kind of the space that I, I am coming from, always raised. And yet at the same time, since you were so tethered to a computer so often, it always kind of became banal again because people could easily just be like, oh, it's just executing a program. And, and although right. the modular sometimes is doing the same, it's just doing it with such a different gesture and such a different intention that it really does uh, bring a sense of wonderment back to the, mm-hmm. to the instrument space, which is kind of what a synthesizer originally did. Like if you looked at a theremin and you were from outer space or just from earth <laughs> uh, anytime, it mm-hmm. raises way more questions than answers. And I love that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think also something I've heard you mention, um, which I think it was just a really like astutely put is, is in, 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 as far as in context of talking about, yeah, the modulars may be doing the same thing. A lot of modulars are basically computers, but you mentioned something about the screen and, yeah. and the screen of the laptop. That's the place for browsing and social media. And, and you take that out of the equation. And I think, I think that is another thing that is, is more, more um, interesting as an artist approaching making music. And like you said, for the audience to be looking on, I I think, I think, a lot of people got get really suspect about uh, laptops, whether or not that's justified, you know, with a particular artist or whatever. There's just, it, it raises, I don't know. I feel like it could raise things that you, it could be a distraction to the performance, so, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and can I tell you an intensely personal story, not to, not mm-hmm. to suddenly bear all, but <laughs> even just a few years ago, um, I, I was performing with the mono at I think it was South by Southwest actually. So it was like a, like kind of a remarkable festival in that way that it like, Mm -hmm. you never know who exactly is going to be there. And it kind of has a nest to it. And at the time, my father was going through a lot of illness, um, a lot of heart illness specifically and cancer. It was like a a bad twofer the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, as I was on the bandstand and I, I usually try to turn my, my Wi-Fi off just so these things don't happen. But like, I literally got like a missed call from my dad across my screen and it so oh, profoundly took me out of the moment that I was in and reasonably so, but also right. that kind of thing of just like, what am I doing to myself? What am I doing to the people around me? Why am I inviting this intention onto stage? And like, you know, on purpose or on accident, it's just like, this is, this is not, you know, this isn't, <laughs> it was tough. It was hard. And it was that kind of thing. I had to be very real with, what I am doing with these screens, what I'm doing with the computer as the centerpiece of my like breathing apparatus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, that, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think, I think that's, 
and sometimes you know those unfortunate at the moment experiences are you know are are those things that we kind of are, are a shot in the arm yeah. so to speak yeah. to kind of to rethink things um i don't know but i really only felt like this year allowed me to make that change because like you said i mean i really appreciate that you think that i i have kind of a same sound across the modular i really do feel attracted to certain ideas and and certain sounds and resonances and and so i really do feel like only this year with like the updated um kind of uh program that the sts is running for instance the stereo triggered sampler mm -hmm. that it was even possible for me to perform in the way that i wanted to um or it was like imagining in my head and it's so funny because i i was imagining this idea in the months leading up to 2018 and i was going through so many extras things i was like talking to programmers and developers about making an external box that could also be functioning as a sampler like you may know the Monom actually has had now a few like all-in-one hardware um, options. Like they've they've made now a, a, a few odd named devices that are basically computers, but with lots of ins and outs and some CV and stuff. But really, just about being mm -hmm. like brains. And I was uh -huh. talking to specialized programmers about making and developing programs that could perform sample-based music through those things. Because I'm not much of a programmer; I'm quite dyslexic, and <laughs> yeah. I have a hard time. Uh, imagine that kind of stuff and everyone was like oh this is possible but it's actually really challenging and i was even looking at things like the morphogene and and other samplers and and they are v exceedingly clever but they don't handle larger sample based information very well and it's only in 2018 that you see this whole wave of like really vigorous large scale samplers and the sts mm -hmm. just for me is like kingly amongst them because here's this one device that you can run two independent samples like such the simple gesture and yet totally is exactly what i was looking for and yeah it, like you could play like a whole song right as a sample right you can play like hundreds one... of whole songs <laughs> yeah Insane. yeah and not that you That's would crazy. want to do that but like just right. like the option at your fingertips might makes so that suddenly you could just have very different kinds of gestures very different kinds of like like making reference to, but totally, you know, tearing apart sample based matter. It's just like, oh gosh, like this is like the whole kid in the candy store thing happening. And that's right. one of the reasons why I'm actually quite intrigued at the challenge at hand, because I hear I've made my whole like rig to be this like sample manipulator rip apart thing. And I really appreciate that when you give adjectives to these people, they're finding in their oscillators and whatnot, the way to kind of express the the kind of mood or the sound or the environment that you describe in your challenge and yet at the same time i've been doing all this stuff to make it so that i can express it in much more traditional musical ways like uh -huh. when i want to play a sad song i don't have to like rip apart my rig i just play a sad song like uh. <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah or in in that way so it's like or or if i'm trying to play something buoyant or happy or dancey like i don't have to like go through and make a whole bunch of micro decisions in a way that's independent from music theory. Like I can just, I can just get to the, to the thing really quickly, so to speak. So I, I am really curious on, on, on how this is going to happen, how this is going to work today. Like what we're going to yeah, do. Yeah. I am. I am super. I'm, I can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious with, with you coming into this. Cause like I said, it, it's still, um, you know, it still sounds characteristically like the music you make because, like you said, you're you're drawn to certain textures and and mm. and, and sounds. Um, what has been? Has there been something super surprising and maybe kind of 
what kind of alterations has it made to your like your approach or the way that you you end up writing music are you finding are you finding yourself being led by yeah. it in any way or now i'm leading you with a question no no no, <laughs> no you're absolutely correct and and it is really true so the the very first thing that happened was even though i've i've gotten a lot of gesture based um equipment in in the rig like i got pressure points i got ears i got planer too mm-hmm. um i got some erica equipment it it still has like a it's very much more glacial compared to like the really vigorous touch that the monom had where mm-hmm. i was like really ripping and tearing i had to get wrap my mind around basically knobs rather than buttons like right. knobs being this thing that you grip with two fingers and you twist and turn and although the the sound output can be hellacious like can be huge um especially when it comes to like some of the kind of audio manipulation or wave folders and these different things that i've experimented with just the mm-hmm. fact that it takes up an entire hand to make a gesture rather than like a single finger press. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, like I've had to really change the way I perform and my expectations for my own performances to really hone in on like, cause it used to be this thing where I could make changes so quickly with the monom and the audio. And again, this isn't just about sample manipulation. It's also just about the way it reacts on the audience that I literally, I, kind of came up with this theory that I had to do everything three times because uh-huh. the first time I did something, it was just for me, even though I kind of knew the outcome. And the second time was just allowing the audience to finally catch up. And the third time was to allow us to all arrive together. Uh-huh. So almost every time you see me perform like these older mono set, mono sets, like I'm, I'm really whacking stuff a multiple series of times to kind of get the audience up to speed. And eventually like, mm-hmm. But in an hour or two performance, like you kind of, you can kind of sense the audience knows what's going on. They know what's up. They know the right. trick. And so you can just kind of like let things be vigorous. But with modular, it's not like that. Like you, you make a gesture and you have to control the tempo and timing so that people understand that there is something happening on the stage that is, is not, not only a, a sound change, but also like literally determining the kind of course of the ship is being shifted. And it feels much more like a ship. It feels much more like you were at the prow and you're like sometimes against pretty heavy currents and you're pushing the whole thing forward. Yeah. Um, yep. And in that same regard, like one of the, the happiest surprises was things like envelope followers, like again, like ears. And I also have a Sputnik in there. This kind of like this, this preamp that also has an envelope follower. It's like, that is my secret weapon is that the audio itself can be making determinations that although maybe are invisible to the audience at first over time, they they can exactly hear the thing that's happening because it really is audio based. It really is like the audio is giving away all of its secrets and it just happens to be spread across the whole, the whole rig through just some multiples. It's amazing. Okay. Uh huh. So, so in, in kind of in, in, in the, the stream of, of that kind of thought process, Mm. are, are you finding, um, I guess how, how much is the, the end result matching the beginning intention with like a particular patch. I think that's the thing that's problematic is it's exactly matching. Oh, okay. Like I, I don't have, I mean, I, I can make chancy patches that uh-huh. do other things, but when I'm actually just making my, like my performance patch, like it, it works. You know what I mean? It goes. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. And part of it's the pressure points, you know, you, you turn a knob and you can get to an exact value and 
you know, this is throughout the whole rig. There's like a lot of precision involved because I'm thinking very performatively. Okay. I, I've used it in and, studio and I've definitely experimented on it and I've, I've gotten crazy sound development, but a lot of it is like, I'm trying to get repeatable results because I really, I really want it to be a good show. You know, I really am thinking about uh -huh. the audience. It's an outcome. That's that's pretty rare in, in modular, and I think a lot of people have kind of just surrendered to the idea that oh, once you unpatch it, it's it's done. And mm. I, I'm starting to question that, and and kind of I'm finding myself wanting to pursue more repeatable stuff because if if I do make an album that I'm really proud of, and then I want to do like a release show, it would be nice to be able to perform yeah. at least a chunk of it. And that's something I have yet to be able to do because I haven't, I, to be honest, I haven't tried it because I just kind of settled into that, that kind of idea that is within a lot of people in the modular community that, Oh no, you just, you don't re, you don't recreate stuff. You know, you don't play your tracks from your, your albums and, I, mean, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of interested in seeing if that changes. Yeah. I think it's a beautiful thought though, that there isn't a preset that there isn't that the sound lives in it's in, in the air for that moment and, and then mm -hmm. dies in the same regard. I, I don't know if I'm doing it right by my, the way I'm, I'm approaching it. And yet at the same time, I think there's room enough in this space to do both. Yeah. Which is beautiful. I think, the, I think that's amazing. I, I totally agree, and I and I do I love I love the it's a very romantic idea of whatever performance I give or somebody gives that's that's the one performance that's just for you and the audience, and especially if you don't record it, it's just that one thing that happened. One thing that I find out just just for me personally, I'm definitely not projecting this onto anybody else in in the community, but for me, it's a lot easier to be like if I'm not feeling super jazzed about a patch I'm working on for a set. I'll be like, well, you know, next time, next time, because you know, this will just be, so it, it I don't know. I, I find myself maybe cutting myself too much slack. I don't know. Maybe I'm also just being hard on myself, but, um, well, I think it's inherent in the machinery, you know, depending on the kind of equipment you're working on, there is going to be a lot more chance because it's just now unrepeatable. Like some of this equipment is really like, I, I do love the fact that the voltage is not always obtainable. Like, you patch something one way and maybe it's just you're using different cable choices or whatever the, the kind of earnest of it is. And it just reacts differently, you know, uh -huh. and, and part of it is the shakiness of electricity and that's inherent mm -hmm. in the system. It's just, as I'm using more digital units, like, like the STS or, or like plats, uh, plates, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, all the mm -hmm. mutable stuff. I have no idea how to pronounce um, <laughs> that. You're kind of, you're, you're kind of in, in a, you know, like a, an isolated run of software more than you are necessarily in that same, like really analog space, but you can, you can build both into the system and then the results yeah. can be mutable, you know, like literally like mutants that are assembled uh -huh. and cobbled together, like golems that are like storming. A yeah. castle. It's beautiful. <laughs> That's kind of the conclusion that I've come to for myself with my own wrestling of the, the repeat repeatability mm -hmm. and, and all of that is, I, I have I have a hybrid system. Yeah. Some of it is analog, some of it's digital, and I maybe will focus on the digital stuff for that thing that I want to be somewhat repeatable. Um, yeah. yeah. I also think it's interesting too that a lot of people have decoupled like the need to have um, certain emotional moments hit um, in their performances with with modular. Like I think a lot of people do 
like the fascination is partially with the technological space rather than like, okay, I'm, I'm looking for a big ending or the beginning, although it usually does seem to creep up with a lot of modular performance because as you activate voices and kind of get things enabled, it's, it's less about these like emotional waypoints that you're looking to kind of tell a story and more like the machinery itself has its it's story that you're telling. <laughs> I totally agree. And that's, <clears throat> that's also something that I've been thinking of as, as far as like creating, I, uh, I, I, I want to create pieces and performances that have, um, maybe not movements, but definitely like an arc of mm-hmm. a sort. Um, cause I do, th- I do find that that is what is lacking. I think a lot of the other, a, a huge component of this also is, is modular performances, especially in the community that I am in. 15 to 20 minute sets, you know, and there's 10 people on the bill. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, I think, I think if, if a 15 minute set's still hard to make, but if you had, if you were pressed to make an hour, I think you'd probably think about it more in the lines of an arc and, and building movements within it. It's so fascinating. Cause I'm coming from the world where as, as sometimes a DJ or being treated like a DJ in, in uh, lineups, like hour and a half, two hours is not unheard of. Like uh-huh. I've been asked to DJ four hour long, five hour long sets before. I, I wouldn't have done that with the mono because the technological limitations of the laptops I was on just made it impossible in terms of having enough sample information. But like, it's just part of that community to play long sets right. where it's, you're, you know, you're kind of, it's like a run on sentence from hell <laughs> that you're dealing with. Yeah. But well, the idea so that, that a modular, you know, that you're playing 15 minute sets just seems like that would just go by in a half a second. How do you even have oh, it, like a it, single yeah. thing happen in that time? I have to put a little timer out that I can look at because mm. I, I will end up rushing through it and I'll end up playing an 11 minute set a lot of times. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I write myself a note and put it right on my rack. Like, Oh my um, God. Actually, it's sitting right here in front of me. I wrote to myself, I played last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Remember, take your time and have fun. You know, like, Incredible. I had, I, so what an oblique strategy is that? What a, an Eno esque <laughs> strategy. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it only kind of works. Uh, <laughs> but spe- okay, speaking of live, like the way. I, I kind of have like a, a, a multi, multi-part question mm-hmm. here and let's see if I can actually wrangle it because it's more of a thought. Um, have One, uh, have you found yourself kind of, I'm, I'm sure you, like after 15 years of, of playing some, you know, really big gigs and being very comfortable with the mono, I, I, I can't imagine you were super nervous before the average set. Did, did, has switching over to modular kind of gave it a, a performance a little extra danger? And how have you noticed a difference in the the audience that you're playing to yeah. and the kind of the reception? Well, and I would add to that that people, you know, have all different kinds of motivation of being in the audience. I hope they come because they want to witness or hear. But also I do have fans that are really hooked on a certain kind of technology. And I know the same thing happens in the modular community where people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some performers are known for certain pieces of equipment and therefore they're kind of, people want to see that. And so when I first right. switched over, I did have some people who voiced very vocally um, the disappointment that the mod, the modem wasn't on the stage, that somehow yeah. that, thing that like very ripped apart um plunderphonic idea wasn't as immediately obtainable but 
I, I have been really heartened that the fact that most people, maybe it's because I've just switched to another form of esoteric technology, but people are still <laughs> pretty happy with the results. And they are also seemingly maybe even more geeked out because a lot of people are now addressing mo- modular as being the, the, you know, the kind of medium they want to work in. And there's very few people who are trying to do controllers and on different like festival stages nowadays. It just doesn't happen. They're just, I don't know if it's because, the kind of the CDJ ness of the world in the electronic community, but like you see way more modular setups than you do people with odd control systems. It's just really okay. Absolutely. And I think part of it's because the sound manipulation possibilities is kind of where the, the electronic music realm is at. If you look at all the future based stuff, if you're looking at the kind of post dubstep or post EDM, whatever you want to call it, it's about sound design. It's about, and so it's all the things that are happening in the studios just people begin to bring on stages as a way of adding a flavor or a spice. And then as the technology progresses and you have more options to performing it really, like you see it being more and more central to people's rigs. Okay. I feel that way at least. And it seems like that's bearing out. I mean, like not entirely, but you, you, you know, it's like, we're not talking like the major festival acts, but like a lot of my contemporary people, like the EPROMs, the, the Lapaluxes, the Flylos, the, people are really engaging with, with the kind of hardware samplers, synthesizers in a way that is different than it used to be, where it was just like literally like, you know, a gesture. Oh God, there was this one performance Trent Reznor did who's, uh-huh. you know, he's like a forefather. He's like such a prescient person about like these sound, the sounds showing up on stages. But there's this one thing where he's using a monom and he's just using it in screensaver mode. I swear. He doesn't even like turn the thing on. It's just like making its pretty light pattern. Uh-huh. And it's just like, come on now. Like that's an expensive, <laughs> you know, grid of, grid of LEDs. Like you could have done that much cheaper. Why do that to yourself? It. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh. So, so, so you're, yeah. sorry, go ahead. I don't want, I don't want to, <laughs> I was just going to say more to the point of your, more to the point of your question though. It's like, you, you do see a different, different set of responses and that is exciting. Um, the nerves are there. The nerves never go away though. I mean, the bet, the, the worst nights are the nights you have no care or concern for the audience at hand. And occasionally for whatever yeah. reason, like you're just not, you're just decoupled from the room for whatever reason. And, and it, it ends up falling flat because of it. Like when you have mm-hmm. nerves, it means you have an edge and although it's not always the most comfortable feeling, it's like the nights where it isn't, where that, where the, you know, my breath doesn't accelerate and my, my heart rate doesn't go up. I'm in the end, I'm always disappointed. I'm an addict. Yeah. That, basically. That, I, I, yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. There's, there's definitely, I've, I've played, I've played a lot of shows and, and more in actual bands than electronic, but I'm, I'm starting to break even. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely the, the, the ones where I feel, you know, like, you know, like I just peed, but I have to pee again. Wait, what's that? Right. Oh, you don't actually, you're just nervous. Uh, you know, those, mm-hmm. those are always the most fun once I'm in it, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, that's. And the fight or flight response that we feel, uh-huh. but we're also transmitting. I think there's something really to be said that if we have both instruments and ourselves as instrument that can express like the authenticity of the moment, it really comes across. And I know it's super silly and I, I've said this before, but like if you have an authentic emotion on stage, be it's like terror or smiling or whatever, like it, it's way louder than anything you're putting out through those speakers. 100%. Yeah. 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 That's I, uh, yeah. Pe- like <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, 
I, I, this is a little embarrassing, but I think I think something that stuck with me is as a as a spoon lyric actually the band spoon <laughs> and and there's uh it's it's if you don't feel it it shows they'll tear out your soul but when you believe they call it rock and roll and that's like spoon with that that ancient yeah, wisdom yeah i was just I think like oh yeah, that's Sue it. That's or spoon <laughs> said <laughs> not sure which one it was both profound <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So, I, man, we are we're burning through mm. it. We're already at fifty minutes. Oh, um, no. I, I now. So, you released an album this year. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I've never been able to say this word right. Uh, tot, tot, tot. I usually say tot. Yeah, tot, tot. Yeah. yeah. Um, is is that is that modular or is that kind of a conglomeration of kind of all the tools you use? Or it, it, it's definitely a conglomeration. It's it's everything put into the blender. Um, and I still haven't exactly, and maybe, maybe list, your listeners out there could kind of help point me towards effective ways of getting performance, like in studio performance of the modular and not mm-hmm. just having it be like, Oh, this is a cool, like riser or a drop or drum beat or like moment in, in essence and finding a way of, of kind of getting the larger performance so, so this being said, so like on that record in particular, like I would, I would be sourcing a lot of sounds and kind of in, in like awe of the different sound design possibilities, but in terms of authentic composition, like it only is a more recent studio time that I've been finding ways to really like get longer form out of my rig. And it, it does give me that terrible feeling of like, I want to buy like 10 more modules to help me, <laughs> you know, the addiction, uh-huh. this is where the slide happens where it's like, Oh, if I just yeah. had like this thing, I could do this, this, and this. And Especially because I've, I've I've thus far limited myself to like a I think it's Tokotronic, Tokotronic. Oh God, I can never say the name of the 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 manufacturer, but I use this one like very limited like one sixty four HP like rig that's fully powered and everything. Mm-hmm. But it it's caused me to like really think in that in that term like my architecture is limited. But I'm already, of course, mm-hmm. like looking at larger and larger and larger rigs that can hold more and more ideas that make the studio environment probably more possible. But like right. I'm doomed. Like if this is what yeah. happens, like suddenly <laughs> – what is it? Cyrex? I think he's in LA as well. And like uh-huh. he has like a full like uh, like hydraulic lifter system on his like 1,000 – like you know, multiple thousand HP – system you know what i mean it's one of those beautiful conundrums of like this thing wants your your it's like a vampire wants your blood yeah and you know and that's that's why that's something i've been struggling with i've got uh, i've got 12u 84 hp and i feel like that is it's bigger than i want it to be Mm. um i'm i haven't figured out a way to to really chisel it down too much to where i could play a 20 to 30 minute set that i that i felt comfortable with Mm. um but I, my last my last performance was the first time that I brought kind of like, uh, like a drum machine with effects pedals mm. into the mix with the modular, and then it just it just gave me so much so many more opportunities. Um, so I'm I yeah I'm because I, I was fighting that like man I need to get like you know four times as much stuff as I have but I'm 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 trying to figure out a way to outsource certain jobs to external gear to kind of find that perfect live performance thing where I'm still having fun. Cause the bad thing about having for me with, even with the, the 12 U 84, once it's fully patched, 
it's kind of hard to keep track of. Sure. It's just a rat nest of cables and it's, you know, and then all of a sudden I've, I've blocked the one knob that I want to turn with, with cables. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh shit, what do I do now? I mean, that's um, real even on a small rig. Like that, yeah, that must yeah. be, uh, you know, just the, the signal path alone must take such a long time to patch on something like that. I assume you keep certain routes that are, are always patched. And I, I unpatch it daily. Wow. Um, Interesting. I, so I, what I do for like a live performance is, um, I, I'm a low voltage electrician, so I'm mm. used to dressing cable. Um, so <laughs> I will build, you know, act one of my three act, you know, piece. And then I, I will get Velcro and I will dress that cable as tightly as I can to open up the rest of my, my system. So I'll, I'll find one part and once it's done, I dress it up and then, and then I'll make the next part while the first part's playing to make sure it can still that coexist is, with it. Yeah. That is one thing I find really compelling about this is the architecture aspect. The fact that you're building spaces, not only mm -hmm. of sound, but literally of like the geography that you can transverse and the way you want yeah. to access things. And like, I have this one unit that, I, you know, it's like out there, it's the poly and poly that allows for like, it's a pretty good way of routing um, MIDI or computer data around the machine, but it's like, eight times four, you know, like whatever that is, my math, my God. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's like this many points that can be directed around the, the machine. If, if I really were to go to town and really have a computer enabled, like if I, in the studio, I've done that occasionally where I've like had the computer hooked up and like really tried to push everything. And it just ends up being so much, uh, just groundswell coming out that it's like impossible. The whole thing just becomes a hairy mess. Yeah. And yeah, that's, I, I think there's that perfect size that's, yeah. that's, you know, right in the middle of being able to play, but be robust enough to pull off, you know, something engaging, but, you know, having something like the STS just, I mean, yeah. that opens up so many possibilities. Um, that's something I'm, I'm, I would like to get actually, I've, I've my uh, good buddy, Greg Markle, he uses that. He's the only other person that I know. He's the only person I know personally mm. that really rocks that as his main his main uh, horse, you know, for the, the live set. And I think my only issue is between editing these episodes, <laughs> um, you know, being married and having a social life yeah. and then work, I don't have time to collect or create samples to load up. Well, just you think, know? think so. of it like this. You're already, you're already talking about using drum machines and pedals as in a way of externalizing some of your sound duties. But just imagine mm -hmm. if you could externalize your sound duties, but just on the body of the machine itself. So yeah, that, yeah, there's something really compelling to be said about just being able to just think about what kind of gestures you want to be making in the same way you would make a drum machine pattern per se, and just find a way of keeping that on body. Because mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, like I'm about to go do this tour in Japan. I'm going to go play the Tokyo Festival of Modular and the Kyoto Festival of Modular, and then do some dates in India. And the idea of taking any more than six a six U is crazy to me. Uh, <laughs> like the idea of actually lugging through an airport nine AU nine U or twelve U, like yeah, yeah. Like you and not only and not only that, but just checking it and just trusting some airline oh, to like God, I know not explode your equipment immediately. Right. Well, it's funny you mentioned earlier bringing your 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 mono uh, prototype through. I, I'm flying to San Francisco tomorrow morning. And I was thinking like, oh, I, I could, I could just bring one of my happy ending kits as mm. a carry on. And, and they, and, and then I was thinking, I was like, yeah, but if TSA does think it's a bomb, <laughs> then you know what? that's an expensive, I will tell you this. So TSA in particular, but this is true of a lot of 
these airline security around the world, they're all music makers. I swear to swear, yeah, yeah. they're all like frustrated beat makers. For whatever reason, this is like the the way to become a TSA person. It's like, don't make, maybe just make like generic trap beats. And then like you are <laughs> enlisted automatically in the TSA. I get so many people as soon as they're like going through the, the metal detector or like the x-ray machine. And they like, they ask me to open it up and like, look at it. And I'm just telling them like, it's, it's a synthesizer and they're all like, Oh, you're a producer. And then they let me in right immediately. It's incredible. <laughs> well, shit, maybe I will take it tomorrow. I highly recommend it <laughs> just to see the look on their faces. Trust me. Right on. Well, Hey, I, let's, I think we should uh, try this patch challenge out. Okay. So let's see here. Your adjective is glamorous. Mm. That's, that's not as weird as they usually are. <laughs> See if we get a weird name. I mean, glamorous, let's be honest, it's a little weird for a music adjective. Like, yeah. yeah. As, as far as music adjectives go, like, what? What? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is going to make you question it even more. Your your noun is uh, scimitar. Oh, like as in glamorous. sword. Like as in the yeah. D&D sword that you might have in Lost Realms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. <laughs> glamorous scimitar. I like it. All right, we're going to take a little break to check out the uh, angle grinder from Schlappy Engineering, the Bang, and Felix from Livestock Electronics. Right now I have a sine wave coming out of the angle grinder, and that right there you can hear me fading up these harmonic sliders from the grind output on the angle grinder. I'm going to control those with some clocks. I'm going to use the Felix as an attenuator, attenuverter, to put these clock signals into the CV control of the sliders. I'm running uh, one sine wave into the reverb from 2HP and then the other, the grind output from Angle Grinder into the dual looping delay from 4MS and I'm gonna slowly bring the bang from Livestock Electronics into the grind input. You can use an audio input or a CV input. I'm using the pressure points to uh, control my notes. Yeah, so let's vibe on this for a second. And then in a moment, you're going to hear that bang that's coming through uh, change characteristics. That is me going through the different wave libraries. Um, I will cycle from the yellow all the way back around to the yellow by the end. So you'll hear it change right about... Now, change again here. And there's another change. And another change. And, uh, like I said in the intro of this episode, you can uh, you can get an app to do your own waveforms and uh, put them on an SD card and put it into the bang. So yeah, you can do a lot of really cool stuff with it. Go to livestockelectronics.com to check out uh, the bang and the Felix and their other awesome modules, and schlappyengineering.com to check out uh, the angle grinder and all the other cool stuff that they have coming out pretty soon.
what was what was the process of, of approaching approaching this like yeah. first reactions what kind of whatever whatever you want to tell me about the experience sure so first reaction was I, I started to do the normal patch that I've kind of built towards mm-hmm. but I realized it doesn't necessarily do honor to the splendidness of it uh-huh. really, the, the the glamorous the the kind of those adjectives that are adjacent to the words at hand uh-huh. and so I, I started to set some amount of talking in amongst the machine using my Sputnik and using the stereo triggered sampler to send the end out into the play of multiple samples. And basically I, I honed in on a scimitarness that I was surprised about. Like I, I found myself thinking more in those terms. Uh-huh. And I think like all the gesturalness of like our verb and some like synthness is, is interesting but I think in, in many ways, just to be dealing with raw sound, it really is, it's like based on the opinion that you're holding. Like, and, and so in some ways, the challenge I can imagine that you're presenting to some of your, your, your guest podcast-ness uh-huh. <laughs> um, is, 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 is quite different. So I can't wait to, to express this differentness, I guess. This, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be able to throw my adjectives in the mix, my external extra adjectives. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And you know, I, I was excited for you to do this one in particular, like I, I'm excited for every guest, so I, I'm not playing favorites or anything, but just, just hearing the way that you, you speak about music and kind of this kind of, I don't know, your whole kind of philosophical approach to sound in general and, and, and intent, it all seems very, um, I don't know. It all seems very like important and real and close to you. So I was, I was excited to see how you, you, uh, you took took to the challenge so awesome well i appreciate that and and how long do i have like what's my, um usually do i have an I, hour <laughs> <laughs> usually I, I i encourage like three to eight minutes but okay. i also encourage you to play the piece you know to where you feel like you played the piece that you made you know what i mean like i appreciate that yeah no absolutely that's great yeah that makes all the sense Okay, so yeah, if you, if you don't have anything else to add about it, let's let's check it out.
that was a really different experience than I've ever had with modular. Like, sort of beyond the prompt, like just knowing that it's being recorded, like what my gesture-based performance is being recorded for non-witnessing eyes or ears, uh-huh. I should say. Like, it, it's different. Right? Like, I found myself really, yeah, really concerned about uh, about like the the way that the the format was like a drift from my intention, which is different. Like I'm really used to being much more airtight. So way to, you know, ballyhoo to you to get us out of our comfort zones. I don't know to hear, to hear, to hear you do it with like the way you approach it and just kind of like knowing your, your, uh, your, your sound that you've done in the past. It was still you, but there was a, there was a harsh and darkness in it that, that I, that I feel like, <laughs> There was a, like a rawness that that was yeah. uh, injected in there that was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I think I leaned into the skimitar. Um, yeah. So this week, maybe I held myself <laughs> hostage with my own skimitar, which is a it's an advanced move. Um, yeah, if I may say. <laughs> and yeah, indeed, also like things that I thought I would be spending more time on, um, I thought I'd be spending more time in the reverberant space, and I just found myself in my chronoblob, like like way more than I expected. And, and also like repeating in ways that are like, yeah, different, 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 different. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. That was, that was really cool. And it was funny, like, cause it was kind of glitchy and, um, yeah. you know, it was extra glitchy because Skype would lag every so often. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Maybe really we're getting a more interesting hearing it without Skype. the Skype yeah, yeah. lag. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, man. Perfect. I, uh, I I really appreciate your time tonight. I had a blast talking with you, and um, I think I think I'd, there's so much to cover with you. I mean, we didn't even really get to uh, the de- delay delus, which I which I just oh, love yeah. the name. I'm of working and... on delay delus too now. Oh, it's really? Super great, modular great. friendly. Um, yeah, we're making like a modular version of delay delus. Yeah. Fuck yeah, yeah. I need I need to talk to to Mike. I he was there yeah. at at Switched On when I was there. I just kind of saw him across the room, but I'd love mm. to get him get him on. Um, his little, I forgot what it was called. It was just this tiny little circuit board synthesizer. It was like the yeah. size of a wallet that you played with little clips. Like he had a well, keyboard. Well, he's, he's made all kinds now too. He also made that like the whatchamacallit or what, what, yeah, literally it is like something like that. <laughs> yeah. Where, where it was like light set, like a photo sensor. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like what interesting, amazing devices that were like kind of before this modular revolution, the Eurorack revolution, right? Like all of his stuff. Yeah. Was kind of like yeah. That's aside from that. So, uh, huh. Yeah. Well, I'm I oftentimes think see. about the people who aren't the direct beneficiaries of this revolution that's happening in the industry where the people who were DIY and maker, but like not necessarily hooked into this format and how the uh-huh. formats exploded. But there's a lot of people who just didn't make the shift in transition, not to call right. John Mike in particular. I mean, uh, from, from bleep labs, but it's just interesting. Like there's a lot of people who maybe are on the verge of getting into it with their unique ideas or people who were left out because it just didn't quite suit their format interests, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm really interested to see where it goes. Cause I mean, I've, I've talked to so many different makers just through having this show and it's just, there's, there's a couple camps, you know, there's people think, yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's came and it's, it's on its way out. But I, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't want to believe that. And I'm, I'm interested to see what can happen with, with stuff like Again, you if just talking if there's about. people like, well, just even like, if there's people like me who are just now getting into it, I, I can understand there's probably people who've been into it for ages. They feel like they've explored the space. They know all the people intimately that make, um, for the format and like 
maybe they think this is the limit, but I, from my perspective as, as a somewhat outsider and knowing all the producers who are just now discovering sound design as like a real tool to use, they're approaching it from that direction or from a performative space that is yet to be created. It's uh-huh. going to be crazy. If this yeah, just continues think, as it would yeah. seem. Yeah. And having, having an artist like yourself coming into it is just gonna, it's just gonna give it so much more exposure to people who may not have seen it otherwise, you know, like just because you have, you have a pretty far reach, you know, you have, you have, there's a lot of people around the world who are super into your stuff and you know, who knows what level of active listener and, and what they're looking at as far as gear goes, but there's going to be some people along the way that are going to say like, Whoa, what is it using now? You know? And then, and then, well, uh, you know, God help them if they go down the modular <laughs> road, but <laughs> it's just good to remember too, that like, although we think of Bob Moog, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this venerable figure of his synthesizer, he was never the mouthpiece of the synthesizer itself. There, right. It took many, many, many more years for people to come along and be prodigies at those instruments to make them compelling. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can have all the theory and the, the ideas and everything until somebody comes along and really compellingly makes, it's just not the same. And, and I think we've yet to necessarily see the generation of people who have gone through modular on the spot or gone through these different places where they've had to reckon with it in a live situation. Yeah. yeah. It's just going to be reinvented as a performative instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Here, like I'm, I'm finding it, you know, in my, in my, my middle age of, of musical, you know, being a musician, but I, I'm, mm. I'm hanging with some, some, you know, not kids, but you know, you know, guys in their guys and gals in their early twenties that are, that are really locking this stuff down. And like, I don't know. When I was twenty, I was just plinking on a guitar and barely using like you know Cakewalk, you know, like yeah. recording software. So yeah, I think you're right. I think there's going to be. I think this next generation of people who are finding their their voice for the first time as a musician on a machine like this. Oh man, yeah, sky's the limit for what what's going to come out. All right, that was our episode with uh, with with Alfred Darlington, aka Daedalus. Um, it was a really good time. I want to thank him for being on the show, and I want to thank our sponsors, Livestock Electronics, Schlappy Engineering, Recovery Effects, AI Synthesis, and Odulus. Don't forget that Odulus is 50% off right now if you want to go buy it, and keep an eye out on my Instagram for some free download codes. First come, first serve. We're going to be giving three free copies out a week for the next month, so... Uh, Yeah, if you don't get it this week, keep an eye out for next week. And uh, thanks for listening.